0: My name's Joel, and we are on my podcast, Party Like a Rockstar. It's funny that I still have to read that. (laughs) Looking down. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. Delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. No vegetable oils, soy fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher prev, and 100% vegan. Be kind to the planet, animals, and your body. And HollywoodSauce.com, bringing you the very best in hot sauces, barbecue sauces, salsas, marinades, and other fiery foods. My guest today is Johnny Polanski. How are you doing, bud? I feel all right. Cool. All right, I'm gonna tell you about yourself. Let's see how we do here, all right? Johnny began writing, recording, and self-releasing homemade cassettes as a teenager under the name, The Amazing Johnny Polanski. By doing this, he was able to reach artists like Mark Ribot, Xander Schloss, Reeves Gabrels, and Frank Black. In 1992, Johnny played at the famous CBGBs with his band. His band, Mark Ribot from Tom Waits and Elvis Costello fame, Sebastian Steinberg from Soul Coughing, and Sim Kane from the Rollins Band on drums. In 1994, Frank Black, the singer of the Pixies, produced a demo for him. Based off of that demo, Rick Rubin signed him to his label American Recordings. The album, Hi My Name Is Johnny, would be produced by Johnny and mixed by the great Brendan O'Brien. He would go on to work with Maynard James Keenan, Audio Slave, Mark Lanigan, Neil Diamond, Johnny Cash, and the Dixie Chicks, just to name a few. Johnny, I'm looking forward to getting into this with you. All I've listened to this week has been your music. If not mistaken, today is actually the release date for Hi, My Name is Johnny, and it's going to be the first time it's been on vinyl. And I appreciate you spending that time with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. So, reading through all this, um, you the, the story reminds me in a way of of Daniel Johnston doing his his tapes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And um, I got a bunch of questions about the tapes, and I and I know it's kind of like it's old school now. I don't I don't know if people are still making tapes and handing them out. I think I do know they're not. The kids, the kids are into cassettes these days. Oh, well, you know when I was working on the stage. Sorry. It's a, like a niche thing. Well, know. it's become, yeah, people like collecting old forms. I mean, I think the records was the first to really make the comeback. And now other stuff sort of is too. And, I, you know, the truth is, those mixtapes that we all made as a kid were so much fun. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, was, it was kind of a cool thing. And you can still buy most of the tapes real cheap. And, and you reminisce of having them. For me, it was in my truck. <laughs> it was the only thing you had. Yeah,
1: something you can
0: hold. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of neat.
1: So, how many
0: tapes did you make of one recording to hand out? Were you, would
1: you make them as well, you had a guy to send them to? Well, I had a friend who worked. This was back in Chicago where I grew up. I was a teenager. I had a friend who worked at Acme Tape Duping or whatever it was called. And uh, that was his job. So he'd go in after hours. He had a key. And he would just take my master cassette that i gave him and he would like dupe off as many as he could so you stole the cassettes oh yeah it's stolen goods (laughs) i'll go to kinko's and make the covers i'd pay for those but the cassettes themselves were stolen so i would just take as many as he could do here here, i got you 25 you know or whatever you know
0: it's so funny so i'm a big i love i love raymond pettibone yeah sure here we go all right phil jumping on I love Raymond Pettibone and it's amazing how much money I've spent on Raymond Pettibone flyers <laughs> that are from the from Kinkos. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> it? It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I don't know. I like all that. So more with the cassettes. So you're you're running them off. You're sending them. I mean, it's I would assume, very safely assume, that who you're sending them to would be the guys that you like, that the people Yeah. I was a kid.
2: What's up, Phil? hey how's it going guys dude i'm sorry i didn't it's all right it's <laughs> all right not like johnny has
0: anything else to do uh
2: uh-huh. yeah <laughs> no big deal
0: here, we're celebrating his his record vinyl release and look at you mr fashionable guy here let me tell you who phil is real quick here and we're going to go back to what we were talking about because for me i think this stuff's really neat so today my co-host who came fashionably late is phil brewster phil brewster has 178 imdb credits these days, he works mostly doing ADR and as a mix tech. I didn't know there was a new Candyman movie coming out, but I gotta be honest, I'm kind of excited about it, Phil. <laughs> it's it's going to be a good one. I'm kind of stoked. We were just taught, before we started this, him and I were talking about horror films. So yeah, I love Candyman. Yeah, I can't. I'm really excited, and the guy's in it. I looked it up. He's cool. He's coming back. So okay. Uh, before Phil, before Phil started to work in film, he worked with me and uh, we worked in recording studios. Before that, Phil worked at at Sound City, where he worked worked with artists like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tom Petty, Taj Mahal, and the Deftones. He learned under Rick Rubin and Joe Barisi. Phil got his break when he was hired at Can-Am Studios. If you don't know Can-Am Studios, they recorded a lot, if not all, you can tell me, of the death row Records stuff. He worked extensively with Tupac, Snoop Dogg, Nate Dogg, Lady of Rage, Danny Boy, Ice Cube, and DJ Quick. While working in the anime world, Phil was the chief engineer on Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Trigun, and the Armitage, to name but a few. Phil's recorded talent and sound design video games such as Castlevania, Ace Combat, Dragon Ball Z, Halo 3, Bioshock Infinite, Resident Evil 5, and Final Fantasy. I'm a fan of his band, Play Hat. So... To catch you up to speed, my friend, we've been talking about Johnny's tape cassettes that he would steal (laughs) and send out to his favorite artists. And we were just about to get into, uh, how did you select the guys you were going to send your tapes to? Was it more like you're a fan and you're just hoping that they really like your music? Or is it maybe an opportunity within this
1: guy or a bit of both? Probably a bit of both, but I was a kid. I was like 17, 18. I was just I was just excited and making stuff, and just I would hand them off to my friends. I would, you know, use it as an excuse to sneak backstage and meet people, musicians I liked. Or I mean, this is so long ago, it was back when everyone had a home phone, so you could call four one one and be like, you know, Minneapolis, give me, you know, so and so, whatever, you know. And if they're listed, they're in the phone book, and you get their number. So I used to do that all the time, and I didn't think of it as networking. I mean, I was just like. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty natural, too, especially when you're starting out and and when you're young, like to look for a mentor, whether you realize it or not um and that's kind of what I was looking for was just validation and people to get excited about what I was doing and these early tapes also were like really funny. it was more like ween um like like stylistically all over the map. yeah, you know, I record out on my four track cassette recorder songs were like you know less than a minute long, and just crazy cover art and um you know like Neil Morcone and like you know death metal and just, like, have you ever company. seen any of them pop up on ebay no
0: be f- I bet you, there, there will be. It'd, be it'd be a kick you know it'd be pretty funny like the daniel johnston ones yeah. we were talking about they go for quite a bit of money because yeah it's pretty cool yeah, stuff you never know so what um, was your job you're, you're 17 years old what do you do what's your what were you doing for to get the money for the postage I probably stole it. I don't know. We're stealing stealing all of you. You were destined to work in the music
1: industry. (laughs) I don't know. I I can't remember having a job back then. Um, Oh, you know what? I mean, I probably. Oh, no, that was probably later. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know where I got.
0: Did you ever do any drive-bys and drop the tapes off so you didn't have to pay for the postage? Uh, Wait, what's that? A drive-by? Just you drop by their house and you drop it in the mailbox.
1: No, I, well, I did that once. I mean, I would, I honestly, I would think he would creep them out, but nonetheless, they did. Someone told me that, that uh, someone told me David Lynch's address, this is years later, I wasn't a teenager at this point, when I was living in LA. Oh, no, I think I was just visiting LA. And so I went to his, his house and uh, left a, a CD in his mailbox. And then like 20 years later, his uh, longtime engineer, this guy, Dean Hurley, mixed one of my records at Lynch's studio and he's like, hey, I was looking through this big stack of CDs and I, I found yours from standing 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, so that was the only drive-by I ever did. But yeah, I mean, I, I just sent these tapes just as an excuse to meet people and uh, just meet my heroes and just, it was just fun. And I would hand them out to my friends and instead of just having like these like dumb little four track demos, I like made them into a cassette. You know, it's like at the time it was, it felt like a big deal, like making a cover and Having a thing you can hand to people that has like a, a you know a title and so that, to me it was just I don't know I, I wanted to make records so that I, I was just making records you
2: know? and that is exactly why you've turned it into a career <laughs> I didn't go that path I was trying to work and still be in the band and yeah we
1: so, got a different different way and, you know did you yeah, know? I mean
2: I I knew that. That's what you had to do. I just wasn't willing to do it.
1: So yeah, I I know what you mean. But like, like, for me also. Like I I I liked performing, but I didn't want to like do the grind of like you know playing to two people and like having a mailing list and like trying to really stoke it or whatever. So I always avoided that. So I, I guess even though I didn't consciously really think of it as networking, it was in a way because I was really hoping that. I mean, the main thing was just like this is fun. I want to meet cool people but at the same time in the back of my head i was like god i hope someone can like just pluck me out of you know obscurity and you like i mean
2: that's really smart cuz i mean i that other path of yeah. playing in front of two people at like s- some tranny club which that really happened. that was my first show with with uh, my band Play Hat, which yeah you know it was an after hours tranny place and before that it, there was a it was a theater how, yeah, how old were you? Dude, I was a grown-ass man. There's no reason why. <laughs> like, I would, I would love two. to say, oh, yeah, I was 15. No, I was, wow. like, probably 23,
1: 24.
2: Wow. Something like
1: that. I've played those, too. Yeah, and and, yeah,
2: and it's, like, one of those things you show up and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know it was this.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, I've done a lot of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've played for no one in the audience like the sound man walks out of the room and even his dog walks out of the room
0: <laughs> oh rough i went so, i yeah. saw uh who's a cry little sister i think he uh he came through the studio didn't he Phil, it's uh gerard you know cry little sister from uh, the vampire film lost uh gerard mccann maybe i don't know Great. So, i remember i think keith gerard. i remember
2: first name. i don't remember last name but,
0: remember. but he, he did cry little sister and, and uh, he asked he, lost boys is that that's yeah family? from the lost boys right i think he forced had something to do with it but maybe i'm wrong i don't know anyway so um he asked me to come i went to go see him play and and i walked in like halfway through the song i'm thinking oh crap you know because it is a great song And yes. then he played it again at the end the same song and i was like wow, i've never seen anybody do that on the stage before and there was nobody there there wasn't yeah. a <laughs> I felt so bad, but I I didn't get to hear this kick-ass song. That's the other side. I hear this great, great song by myself. You know, it was cool. So from the audience side, it's neat. You know, it's interesting. So um, having been on the stage, all of us here, it's very stages. I, I had a lot of these demos and stuff thrown up on the stage and I would try, I would try and listen to them maybe on my day off and they always sucked. Yeah, they were always awful. Just I, I wanted so bad one of them to be like, "Hey, you know, Brett, well, you know, check this out, man. This it's it's actually,
1: these guys actually, and they suck. They suck." That's the one reason why I made mine funny. It was it was partly just because that's how I was when I was you know seven. So funny, like how it. like
0: you're 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 doing like a comedy skit
1: before the song, or what do uh, you? Just like, um, uh, I mean, the names of the songs like, were that's that's were hilarious. So what? The names of the songs were hilarious. Oh yeah yeah um yeah just like shit i can't even you know like i did a version of jingle bells that was sort of like a 40s swing version but it would like quote you know stone cold bush by the chili peppers and it would have like 96 tears quoted in there and just like lots of musical sort of in jokes and um uh you know like uh whatever uh i'd speed up the tape and sound like a leprechaun and sing like a a cool
0: i mean you're trying to make your path but You're also enjoying yourself the whole time. That's cool. That's cool, man. All right. So I'm intrigued because both of you guys have worked with a few of the same people. And I'd love to hear, uh, you know, different reactions, maybe different stories on the same guys. The most obvious to me. Uh, Well, actually, there's a couple. So uh, Phil here worked with Frank Black. He's he's obviously like instrumental in in making your career. Uh, This guy was a pivotal moment in your life. Yeah. And what about you, Phil? Did you get him coffee or?
2: <laughs> I, dude, I got him coffee. And he'd, he'd come in every day with uh, with like, I, gave, I think it was like three lottery tickets. And he'd, he'd give me like three lottery tickets every day. And he was just like one of the sweetest guys. And then um, and I was like, yeah, I was just a runner and everything like that. So it's not like, you know, I didn't think he would remember me. And then probably like three, four years later were rehearsing at the same place right next door. And it was like I'd seen him, you know, the following yeah. week. And it's been like four years.
1: Yeah, Charles like, is way down to earth. He's dude, the
2: cool he's, he's an amazing uh Lyle uh yeah. Workman, he, he was uh in the band at the time and when was did, this like
1: mid-90s? mid-90s?
2: Yeah yeah it was like ninety ninety three I think ninety three oh, okay.
1: four yeah, Somewhere yeah, around
2: there. That was just before
0: we met. Yeah. So how did it transpire? You send the tape, lo and behold, some guy who's probably on your top shoot, I don't know, five, top three, maybe number one, he actually gets back to you. What did you do? Did he call you? No, exactly. how did it happen?
1: How it happened was I, I called up Reeves Gabrels, who um he plays in the cure now, but for back then I, I was a huge fan because he played in Tin Machine you know, Bowie's band that he had with Reeves and, and the Sales Brothers. I still love those records. Um, and that I was just a huge, huge fan. I found him in 411 and we became friends. I started sending him tapes and he was really cool. I ended up moving to Boston and he would introduce me to, you know, the whole scene. and it was very, very supportive and encouraging. And, um, he knew that I was a huge Pixies fan. I think the Pixies had just broken up and he hadn't announced he was Frank Black yet, but I was like, can you get my stuff to Frank, B- or you know, Black Francis? So like, yeah, sure. So he, he, it, took a, it took a number of months, but like, finally, uh, I forget. Like, I, I remember Charles called my house and talked to my mom for like a half an hour. <laughs> Before he ever, ever talked to me, he's like, hey, mom's really nice. you know. afterwards, like, Charles is like a wonderful, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way he is, like, he's so awesome. He had all these lottery tickets he wanted to give me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, and we became friendly. Like, I, I went to go see him when the first Frank Black record, uh, when he played the Vic in Chicago, I went and said hi. And um, put his arm around me it was like, really encouraging and super cool. And I guess, like, a year later, or I forget the timeline exactly, but anyway, he he got me hooked up with... His manager at the time, Ken Goes, who had been the Pixies' manager too, so Ken took me on as a client, and I flew out to to L.A. and Charles uh, produced a demo. Nick Vincent played drums; he was the, the Frank Black drummer at the time, and it was an incredible experience, um, totally incredible. Like I was out there ten days, and and um, he really taught me how to sing, and um, just really instrumental in. Um, not so much the arrangements. There was one or two songs where he helped with the arrangement, but it was really more just about like drawing out. You know, I was, I was in a lot of ways I was very shy and very inexperienced, especially with singing. And he really coached. I mean, it's it kind of blows my mind. Really, it's like I, I sort of learned how to sing from Black Francis. Like he taught me. You know, um, at the time, I mean, I'm I'm forever a huge Pixies and Frank Black fan, but. You know how it is, like when you're 18, 19, like fuck, man, like he was just the ultimate. And the fact that he was interested and was like so encouraging and really demonstrative of like how much he loved what I was doing was just like, it was just absolutely mind blowing and beyond thrilling. And to fucking have his manager, you know, take me on and produce a demo. And then, you know, got signed by Rick Rubin just off of the demo tape. I didn't have to play or anything. And it, it was just like a storybook, an incredible experience. But um, I mean that's how I met that's a long-winded story of how I met Frank Black. It was just oh, cool. But no, that's that's
2: amazing. That's like you make
1: that happen. Like yeah, they made all it those too.
2: things. It's like, you know, people will look at that story and, and go, Oh, he's one lucky guy. <laughs> Dude, no, that's not luck. I mean, that's some good fortune and talent, yeah. but that's like going way before there was the internet and stuff like that and set i mean because it's so easy now for kids to do it yeah but going out and in taking that initiative to to carve that path and then go off and have like you know one of your idols basically you know you know will actually like it that that right there would have freaking floored me you know yeah.
1: and there was not really- there
2: but you know it, it you you were able to it all takes hard work and I don't think a lot of people realize that everybody yeah. just goes, "Oh, it's, you just have to be lucky or talented. And it's like, you, you know, know what? Like, when you,
1: when you really love something, when you're like obsessively in love with something, like, it doesn't feel like hard work. It's just like, I'm into it. Like, Oh, 16 hours passed. Like, yeah. You know? like, I, mean, I was, when, I was, was just still, know, music Especially session? back then, you know how you have like a, that teenage obsession with music where like really nothing else matters, but, music. I mean that's the way it was for me anyway, but like, you know, as you get older, like there's kind of branches out or whatever. But like I I still love it and passion. It's different. But like, you, so you're, I mean, like 18, I mean, like all I cared about was like like tin machine, Tom Waits, like the pixies. You know, all I wanted was to, like to be part of that and to have some kind of validation and just to be in the club. And you know, it was uh I mean in retrospect, yeah, it was drive or whatever, you know, tenacity and blah, blah, blah. But to, at the time it was just like, oh, this is fun. Like I can talk to Reese on the phone and like, <clears throat> he'll tell me like 10 machine stories and like, wow, like, like Charles, is, you know, we're talking about, you know, or, you know, whatever, like, you know, just talk, talking about stories and like you know, spending the 4th of July with Joey Santiago's and it's like, whoa, I'm half the pixies. This is wild. You know, it, it, it didn't. it wasn't like career manipulation or any kind of like, you know pre uh conceived thing i was trying to do i was just like this is fun like let me do more <laughs> you know so funny because I, I i
2: seriously i'm hearing you tell me that and i'm like i forgot yeah like i forgot on how much i loved to play totally you know like you, you, yeah. up, you know it's like i miss you know the you know i see like a lot of my friends where they just even that we're in my band, like that have given up music altogether. Sure. How can you do like, to me, it's still part of my life. Even though I'm, I mostly work in movies and, and TV. I'm still mixing albums and stuff like that. And just cause I love it. And yeah. I can sit down like seriously, like, you know, 16, 18 hours. I, I will not piss for like 10 hours. Yeah. And not even realize it that I've, that I even had to pee. Yeah, yeah, You know, and that still happens to me today, but as far as music, it was just like, wait a minute. I was so passionate, like, as a teenager in punk, and I was totally into The Cure and stuff yeah. like that, that it was so focused. I missed out on a lot of stuff. Like, I missed out on, on Metallica, when Metallica, yeah. you know, was doing all their great stuff, because that didn't really fit my, you know. Yeah, sure. You sure. know, so now it's great, you know, at being older. Cause now I'm like, now I'm like going back and discovering like Iron Maiden and stuff like well, that.
1: It's yeah. radically different now too, than when we were coming up, it was very much a lot more segregated and, and there was less access to things. And, you know, I mean, when we were all coming up, it was just like, there's MTV and there's the radio and there's Rolling Stone and maybe a handful of other magazines. And then there's the there's underground if you're into that, but really it was just like, Like now, you know, you look at Spotify or YouTube, like, you know, I mean, I've got teenage kids and they uh, are into, especially my son, like just into a thousand different things, you know, that I, I, I was always into lots of different stuff. And I was super curious, I could go to the library or just like listen to my dad's record collection or whatever. But, you know, now it's just very different. Like it's, there's no real mainstream or zeitgeist. It's just like, it's just like this big explosion of everything all at the same time you know what i mean like the, there's it wouldn't be possible to have you know nirvana never mind, or whatever where it's just like this one thing that's so catech not catechismic but like just just such a, a huge um you know uh i mean that, that culture yeah
2: I, yeah we haven't had anything like that i can't really since Everybody yeah. really became like YouTube and all that type of stuff. I mean, I think with the last time that we had like a kind of a culture, it was the new metal limp biscuit type thing. But other than that, I mean, there's you know, some of like the other like the emo shit, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I, I don't understand is we've we've been in war for like 20 years. Why aren't there more like bands that are like because music is always told history mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we get to you know 20 years in war and what we had rise against is the only one that i know you know who wrote a, an amazing song about yeah. it and i'm like where's the storytellers nowadays
1: no i know what you mean um it's hard to like i'll i'll keep up with like what's happening but it's it's it can be really overwhelming um, and part of me misses like the big, um, push, like it, it was, it was annoying at the time, but there was also something kind of cool about, you know, you're hearing, um, a song a thousand times until you finally actually dig it. Um, yeah. cause now there's just like, you know, and one thing that's so radically different now than it used to be is that everyone has access to making pretty much studio quality sound sounding recordings and uploading them. And, you know, everyone can do it. Which is good and bad?
2: Yes, it's bad. I
1: mean, no, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I mean, it's good. I, I it's it, it's
2: it's it's bad if it's if it's what you do for a living. though.
1: No. I mean, it's just like it's it's great that that human beings can like express themselves so easily with so much you know you know cheap technology and it sounds cool and you can do so many creative things. But as a performer and just as a fan. It's like, Jesus, man, there's like, I think, I think in the sixties, it was like a thousand records a year would get released. And now it's like a thousand a week or something. Yeah. I mean, it's,
2: um, it's amazing. It's I mean, I have so much stuff. Yeah. I have not a clue anymore since I, it's been a while since I've, you know, played gigs and stuff. And it's yeah. only been like maybe five years, but taking that much time off, I'm like, do people even, obviously people still don't go to shows now, Yeah, yeah but you know, I, I like think of now I'm like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm going to be 47. I'm like, I can't ask any of my friends to, you know, come out to a, a club or whatever, you know, cause, you so know, friends, cause I, cause they're friends. I don't have fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you have fans and friends, I'm sure. <laughs> a little bit of both. So
0: we're not going to need Rick Rubens anymore because we can do it at home is what you guys are saying. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. <laughs> So explain to me then a couple of things. So Rick Rubin, you know, what makes, if it's so accessible, what, what is the part where a guy like that, a heavy hitter comes on board to do what we cannot do, you know, and it's not, I'm not talking about the connections and stuff. I'm talking about the physicality of actually putting it together in your
1: house. Like how is it different having Rick Rubin produce a record than doing it yourself? Yeah, I
0: mean, you know that guy. It's obvious the answer, some of the answers, but you know the guy's done it a lot. He's incredibly talented and all that kind of jazz. But I mean, I think that even if it it is already, it's so accessible, we still need you know we need you guys, but we need you guys to do it. So I, I don't see it completely taking over.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it it's still like it's still the bigger bands that have budgets still make albums in studios and. You know, it, it, it's the lower stuff that, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore, which is great because, I mean, look, I've got a studio at home that I, to be able to do what I could do at home, I would yeah. have to go to like Can-Am or Sound, the yeah, Sound City, I'd have to go.
1: Like it's yeah. nice to be able to record a vocal or do a, you know, do an overdub, like when you just have the idea and just go turn on the computer and do it but there's something also cool about having the pressure in a good way when you know you're paying for it and you're just like very very focused and time is very uh you know um you know you're you're very aware of how much time you're using and um, I, I like know, you know I just, I just don't have the money to make records in a studio right now I mean the one thing I I mean
2: I, I mean I do ones at home and stuff like that but the thing that I like even as an artist that I like about Going to a studio is just—it's—it's purpose built, you know. True. That that part <laughs> is, is it's, it's just the ease of everything. I mean, you walk in, everything is set up. You know, you're ready to go as soon as you walk through the door. I mean, really, it.
1: It really depends on on just your approach, though, because you know, look at Billie Eilish. You know, she makes her records in her fucking bedroom. Yeah, and, and there's plenty of people that have wasted millions of dollars in the studio, like not being focused at all. I think yeah. it's just all up to the individual and in how you approach whatever situation you're in, really.
2: Yeah, they're all different styles.
1: Yeah.
2: All different personalities. Every, you know.
1: Yeah, I just want to hear something genuine. Just, I don't care if you, it's on a computer or Rick Rubin produced it or whatever. Just like, just give me something fresh. Actually, you actually mean. Did you feel that way when you were doing
0: the stuff at Death Row? I mean, it was definitely innovative and I, w- I would think fresh.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that I, it was, it was hard because you're like caught up in, in the moment. And it was, it was like a really surreal type of chaotic, like where, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where every, everything is still going on and, but you're not really there and you're just kind of like navigating through it. Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of that, you know, where there's like a fight going off over here, and there's another one over here, an argument over here. And then, you know, somebody's trying to do vocals. And you're just kind of like going, what the <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, and that's like real stuff that, that happened. But I did know, you know, as, you know, once when I was started engineering there, because I started as a runner, second, and then all of a sudden, engineers don't show up or they show up, look in the room say, no, I'm out of here, you know. And then it's all okay, who could do it? And it's like, uh, okay, I could do it.
1: There you go. All right, yeah.
2: I guess you're an engineer now.
1: Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um you work but, at Sound City. Yeah, I used to work at Sound City back in uh, what, '93. Cool. I recorded there once in '96, just one day.
2: And, uh, it's, long. and and I'm and it still smells the same. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you could put as much paint on the walls. It was still, but I love that place
1: for the the wildflowers record. Yeah. Oh man. That's one of my favorite records all time. Yeah.
2: The, the record that, I mean, it was great because when my very first day in the studio was at sound city and I'm walking in and I started off as a bass player. And obviously during that time, dude, flea was the reason why I'm a musician. And Chili Peppers, we're, were doing One Hot Minute. Mm-hmm. And I've got Flea, you know, with this bass, slapping it, and going, yeah. bo-dah, 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 bo-dah. right? And I'm like, I can't, this is happening, you know? It's I true, mean, yeah. at a, yeah. such a different level than, like, having your idol go, I, I really love your music and stuff like that. I was just, like, blown away. But it, inside, I'm like, it's cool you know oh yeah i'm like holy shit like if you could i'd be really embarrassed if anybody got to see what's going on in my head i'm screaming everybody feels
1: that way i i lived in la for almost 16 years and i had like you know it's just like a it took me a while to realize but it's a a town like anywhere with people just doing stuff but like the people that live there you know it's people that you grew up listening to a, a lot of them so I had I had so many experiences like that. Like, I can't, oh, my God. You know, it's like playing with whoever. And, you know, it's like, wow, how do you see them walk by? Oh, that, I think it was Billy Idol or, you know, whatever. You
2: yeah. Know? I mean, it was cool. I mean, and I realized, you know, around around that time that I started engineering and, I, dude, we had everybody from from that time period went through the studio. Like, in, in hip-hop and, yeah. and R&B. And, I, and it was like... I came up with the conclusion back then. I'm like, dude, this is like Motown, like the golden era of Motown, but for hip hop. And I wasn't really into hip hop at the time. Yeah. You know, I, I liked hip hop a lot better than R&B. and b I was like, gave me a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and How then, did you
1: involved with Death Row? Like, how'd you hook up with them?
2: Um, I went to school uh, and made friends, you know, w- when I was going to school for engineering. And my buddy uh Patrick Shevlin, he he went to Can Am and I went to Sound City because they kind of help, you know, get you jobs and stuff like that. So I actually got hired on at Can Am at the same time as I got hired on at Sound City, but I decided Sound City because it was a rock studio. Yeah. Over, you know, so that was like my first. So he was over at Can Am and I was over at Sound City. And I'd moved uh, after a year I moved back home to Georgia and then came back and the, the owner still remembered me and was like, yeah, you, you want a job. Yeah. You know, Patrick said that, you know, you want to come back. He's like, when can you start? And I'm like, I could be there Monday, you know? And I was so packed up my car and drove cross country and
1: moved to Beverly.
2: Yeah. And then it was like, I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready. But, yeah. You know, nobody is.
1: Yeah. It's a culture shock. There's nowhere else like it.
2: Yeah. And I just remember walking into that studio and having like this huge guard. He was a he was a cop. He was like at least six, five. Yeah. And just huge. And he's just like, you won't last a week. (laughs) And and that's like the worst thing to ever say to me is like because I would be wrong just and I will put through. You could put me through anything. I'm gonna prove you wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And and I was just like, he, he was still there at the last thing. I'm like, dude, you made me put up with all this shit just because you said that. If you hadn't said that, I probably would have quit in a week. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was like a totally yeah totally different vibe. You know, you're going from like this really cool chill, you know, with you know you more of a family atmosphere to a really hostile. But then there was like times that you do like, you know, when you're making a record with somebody, you do become a family. And there's no matter how hard you are, like, you know, if you're working with, you know, Tupac, even though there's chaos going on and stuff like that, there's still a connection because it's
1: a very intimate experience in a way. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I would say I had just as many, if not more great experience as a runner, you know, interacting with the artists then I even, you know, as an engineer where you're, you know, like it was always cool. That's the one thing that I always loved about, you know, recording and being in the music industry and recording bands. Is like, dude, it was great. You got like a whole new family for, yeah. for a month. And then, you know, then you get another family yeah. and hopefully you keep in touch with the other family, but if you don't, it's all right. You're consumed with this family now. Yeah, so, so uh, break. I mean,
0: I know from a roadie perspective, yeah, you've got your you've got your family, and then you move on to the next tour. But I'm a but if you're doing a record together as a musician, I would think it'd be like more of an intimate experience. Like you guys would care more about each other than us asshole roadies really do. Maybe, but I mean, uh, you're
1: still making a record. You're not like you know.
0: Well, I don't mean you're like throwing on your lingerie together. Uh, what yeah, I mean is, yeah, grinding. Yeah, we're not,
2: grinding I'm not going
0: that far. What I'm meaning is, like, you're working together. If the guy's playing drums for you, is it, well, maybe your next record is it, is it a different vibe? So you go with a different drummer, or, or you know, how do you choose who you want to keep in your in your, well, family?
1: Oh, I mean, for me, I, I just play with whoever's in my life, like wh- whatever, you know, friends I've got and whoever's right for the music and... What's like the evolution of it? Uh, I mean, it started out just me, like I, I played everything on my first record and then I had a, a touring band, like um, for that record, for the American record. And those were high school friends of mine. And we did some recording. That's what, that's who recorded at Sound City. Um and I, over the years, like, you know, I've put out records where it's like, you know, a band and sometimes it's all me, sometimes it's partly me. Like the last few records, I put out two records last year. One came out just before the pandemic and one I wrote and recorded during the pandemic and released just after the election. Those are obviously all me just because out of necessity. Um, and that's, that's mostly it, really. It's like, you know, it's just kind of like... Uh, that's one thing I learned from David Lynch. Just like you sort of like you can do whatever you need to do, but the, within whatever confines you have. Like if you don't have any money, like you figure out a way to make it work. You know, I don't I don't have the money to like record in a studio to you know and get someone to record drums really well. So I've been programming a lot and getting a lot more interested in that and better at that. Um, and uh, I don't know. You just like just like you kind of follow your nose, like whatever wherever the music leads you. You Since think my, your, uh,
0: your guerrilla tactics of being a kid, did you, did you do that with your last two albums? Did, were you aggressive on the internet with marketing those two albums or?
1: Not really. I'm on social media and I'll, I'll post stuff, but, um, you know how it is these days. Like everybody's shouting about whatever they're doing and everyone's got an opinion. And
0: that's the problem. And there is, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody knows
1: anything. Um, but you know, you just do your thing. And, and, uh, I mean it's cool like you can you can reach people all over the world really easily now
0: it's amazing and
1: and hear from people and you know I mean I I ended up going to um I did a two-week tour of Belgium last year just before lockdown and that came about because this guy liked my first record you know years and years ago and he just hit me up on Instagram and like it turns out he was like a really successful he's sort of like the ryan seacrest of belgium like just like a a famous tv celebrity like like reality tv guy and um he i flew over and he just like booked the whole tour and hired a little film crew to make a documentary and you know cool yeah and like that never i don't think that would ever have happened if it were just uh you know if, if there weren't something like instagram or facebook be able
0: to reach it's it's amazing now so like even with this you know most of the guys we're talking to i know but uh well i didn't know you so and and then darren paltrowitz introduced me to you and i met him by uh probably instagram or one of linkedin or something like that so people are so accessible you can write to to so many people these days about you know anything and 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 that where a lot of us are at home to respond, but you can write them can well them. it's it's a numbers game if you write to uh, you know if you send tape cassettes to thirty of them and you get one guy to respond, it's pretty good you got one guy, and if that yeah. one guy likes you enough to introduce you to another guy, you got
1: two guys <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know it's just about doing cool stuff and and meeting interesting people and you know. I think
0: from you guys, I mean, it's what you do. It's not like you could just say, I'm not going to do it anymore anyway. It doesn't matter whether
2: it was.
1: Ex- yeah, I tried that. It took out. Work. <laughs>
2: hard. Yeah, I, I haven't tried only because I'm too scared because I, yeah, I don't know anything it. else. I've never done so anything else. Stop.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Keep going. You interested in working on any film stuff, Johnny? Have you ever had any interest in
1: doing yeah. like film scores? No, I'd love to. I, I scored a short film with Maynard. He uh, he and Brad Wilk from uh, Rage Audio Slave they starred in this film this little short film with Ed Asner. Oh, that's that's neat. Yeah, that's really. Uh, I gotta look that up now. What's it called? Sleeping Dogs Lie. It was got a cool name. Five or something like that. And um, I mean, it's only like maybe twelve or seventeen minutes long, something like that. And I did the music. I would love to do more of that. I've done a ton of like little mini documentaries and you know, stuff for commercials and stuff like that. But I, I would love to score a film. I, I love films and I love film music. I
0: can hear it in your music. You you would be really good at it.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, especially the last few years. I'm I'm a big fan of David Lynch and Angela Badalamenti and, you know, Neil Morcone. I love Bernard Herrmann, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I, I love like any music that really makes you, uh, like creates an atmosphere and makes you feel like you, you're in a particular place or a particular Mood, you know. So does Candyman suck? Or are we wasting our time or what, Phil? No, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool.
2: Well, because Johnny co- and I are gonna be pissed, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys are gonna be stoked. All because right. Because the coolest thing ab- about it is, I don't know if you, if you like Jordan Peele and that style, which is seems to be like the thing that Blumhouse is doing and everything like that, which I'm I'm loving. Yeah, You're, it's it's a lot of that. Plus the stuff that you want from old school candy. Yeah, I want to reminisce. You know, you, you, you're going to get, you're going to get the reminiscing and you're going to get like this whole, whole new thing that it's going to, it's going to stand on its own, but you're going to, you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy that you went because you liked the original, but you're going to like this one probably better. You no you're going to definitely like it better than the original. But then again, I'm also a person who likes, the newest vacation with Ed Helms better than the original. So they redid vacation. Oh man, oh, yeah. you gotta see it <laughs> <laughs> with Ed Helms and and, and Christina uh, Applegate. Yeah, that thing is so funny. Oh okay, it's it, it it's become my favorite, and it's one of those things that we could always put on my wife and I. It yeah. doesn't matter. We just I've probably watched it a hundred times. And I and probably watched the original a hundred times also. But
0: I listened to Johnny's album a hundred times this week. <laughs>
1: there you go. I'm waiting for my five cents from Spotify.
0: <laughs> no, I'll listen to Spotify. it again. We'll get you seven cents.
1: Joel, Joe, are we going to talk about that
0: mustachio guy in the background yet? No, oh, my my buddy. So uh I'm an art dealer. He's. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering. I'm it's glad you asked. isn't it? His name is Pepe. I named him. My buddy who was really creeped out by it, but he's uh he's a, he's actually paper mache and he's look at his mustache. It's like his yeah. whole, <laughs> but he's do a Do you paper. ever
1: wake up in the middle of the night and he's hovering over you?
0: So my girlfriend like had a terrible nightmare that he was coming after her with like a knife and there's nothing she could do. Cause he's not real. So well, she, like a paper mache knife. she got a bucket yeah. of water and she, she like threw it at him was what it was in her meant thing. But <laughs> it's from the uh, 1920s. He's from like the day of the dead. Cool. Uh, celebration. And he, I think he was a drummer because of the way he has his hands. I don't know, but uh, mm. yeah, he's like my buddy. I like him because people yeah. are like, you'll, "You'll sell anything." I'm like, "I'll sell anything." And they're like, "You know what? Would you not sell?" I'm like, "Pepe, I'm not a slave trader."
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he's moved to a lot of he's moved to a lot of places with me, and it's great. I think she's still creeped out by Pepe. <laughs> oh, Trying the deal. Yeah, he's my runner. He's my He was a better, he's a better runner than I was for you, Phil.
1: <laughs> I
0: guarantee
2: it. Well, he probably pays just as much as I did. So yeah, man, I know
0: <laughs> three years. I tell you, Johnny, um, it's really been a pleasure. I wish you huge success with your album and everything, all of your other endeavors, uh, you, your Johnny. re-release of your album rather. And I hope your move to NYC goes real well. Thank you. New York is going to have uh, another really great music guy on the scene. So
1: appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Phil, thank you for coming late.
1: <laughs> or sorry, guys.
2: Appreciate it, dude. It was great seeing you, and it was great meeting you, well, man. Nice to meet you, Phil. Yeah. To to you. All right. Well, you guys have a great weekend.
1: You too. See you guys. Bye, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.